0: Oh, good evening. All right. Across from the valley of the ancient city of Jerusalem lies the Har Hazatim, the Mount of Olives. And uh, it's a ridge that parallels the eastern part of Jerusalem. And within that area lies the Gat Shemanim, which is the Garden of Gethsemane. Gat Shemanim in Hebrew is literally means oil press. And which suggests that that garden at the time of Yeshua was a grove of olive trees. And it may even had an olive press within its area. It's interesting that uh, today there are still Ancient olive presses being located and found all over Israel. There have been a hundred and nine oil presses, olive oil presses, that have been found just in the Golan Heights alone. It's really amazing. And there are three distinct presses. You may not know this about olive oil; you, we take it for granted. But there are three distinct presses that take place. Um, they gather the olives first, and they crush them with a giant stone. A lot of times, this big millstone had a shaft coming out of it that was attached to a donkey or a human, and they would walk around in circles and crush the olives. Then the olives were taken and put into a large basket. And they had a large screw-like thing that came straight down on the basket and pushed it down and squeezed the oil out. And there were three specific types of presses that were done to these olives. The first press was the oil that came out that we use today in the same way for cooking, it was called. Does anybody know? Virgin olive oil. Okay, that's the stuff you always see in all the stores and everything else is virgin olive oil. Now, after they would extract the best, the virgin olive oil, they would then tighten down the screws again and press that basket down a second time. And that second press produced an oil that they would use in soaps and perfumes. The final press, one last press, each time more weight, more pressure being placed on those olives. And that third and final press produced in Yeshua's time, what they used for burning oil for their lamps. So three distinct presses, each one of them very important, each one of them brought about something different, but all of them very important. Now in our passage tonight out of Mark chapter 12, if you want to turn with me Mark chapter 12, verses 32 through 42, we'll read it together. Excuse me, I'm, I'm in my passage for my next study. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, here we go. Uh, Mark chapter 14. Chapter 12 is on Sunday. Mark chapter 14. And we're going to start in verse 32. Then they came to the place which is named Gethsemane, and he and his disciples, and he said, Sit while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, Not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them asleep, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he had returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. Then he came a third time and said to them, "Are you still sleeping? Or are you still resting? It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand." Now, Yeshua had just finished the Passover meal with his disciples. We know it, of course, today as the Last Supper. It was a vulnerable time, moments just before Yeshua would leave and take the trip from Jerusalem. You have Jerusalem on the high ground, and then you walk down through the Kidron Valley, and you begin to walk back up the Mount of Olives. Janice and I have made that walk. It looks pretty easy, but it's not. It's a, it's a very steep walk. The walk downhill, of course, into the Kidron Valley is very easy. The uphill, not so easy. One time... We were walking it, and we were pretty tired, and we just started going on the uphill. And this taxi cab driver we'd met the day before, he was like, hey, you want a ride? I'll take you to the top. And, oh, and I was like, yeah, I'll take you for free. Really? That's a great, okay, nice taxi. We climb in, he takes us to the top, and takes us to his brother-in-law's jewelry shop, where, he, of course, he expected us to buy something. And we end up, we did end up buying something, but, but anyhow. But it saved us the walk up. But, yeah, so Yeshua and his disciples, they they walk down to the Kidron Valley, and they're walking up. Now, I can't imagine what was going on in Yeshua's heart and mind at that time. It was a vulnerable moment. He had just shared at the Last Supper with his disciples, the closest friends that he had on earth, what would soon happen to him. He knew about the betrayal that he would endure from one of his 12, and he shared with them about his coming arrest, torture, and crucifixion. He must have been filled with anguish, deep dread over what he would soon experience. So he withdraws with his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and takes refuge in a special place, a quiet place. And there, alone on his knees in the dark, he cries out to his heavenly Father. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Verse 36. He finds his disciples asleep. He goes away. And that's the, by the way, what I'm going to do tonight is compare his three prayers. He prays the exact same thing three separate times. It says in verse 39, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. He says in verse 41, he says the exact same words. And then he goes again away a third time in Matthew 26, it says more clear, clearly, he says, so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So we have our Heavenly Father, Yeshua, sharing the exact same prayer with his Heavenly Father, crying out to him three different times. Yeshua knew what was about to transpire that night. He knew everything that was going to happen to him. Something so terrible, something so awful, that it's hard for us to even fathom what he went through. But it was something that I'm going to describe this evening as the first press, the second press, and the third press, just like the olive oil. Each one significant because he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in the olive press. And in sharing these, it's first of all surprising, many of us don't realize that he prayed the exact same prayer three times. Why would our Heavenly Father find it so necessary? Why would our Savior find it so necessary to cry out to his Father the exact same prayer three separate times? Not once, not twice, but three times. He was agonizing over three different presses that he was going to experience. The first press was the physical press. Yeshua had been arrested in the garden, was beaten, sleep deprived, put through a mock illegal trial, then he received 39 lashes, save one. Why do the scriptures tell us that he received 39 lashes and not 40, which was by the law? Well, it's because the, the legalists, the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes of that time, they didn't want to go and accidentally miscount and give someone 41 lashes. So to give themselves a protective barrier, they said, we'll only give them 39 lashes. That way, if we accidentally give 40, we're still within the parameters of the law. They were more interested in keeping the law of the lashes than they were of a legal trial to Yeshua. The Sanhedrin met in the middle of the night. That's illegal, first of all. Only part of the Sanhedrin was present that evening when Yeshua was on trial. Those that had any sympathy towards Yeshua were not contacted and brought in to the smock trial. And so we have men are considering themselves holy and keeping the law, and yet they're breaking the law by the very trial that they put Jesus through. This scourging that he would then take, it was by a cat of nine tails. Now, he received 39 lashes, but... If you've never studied it out, a cat of nine tails is like a leather handle with nine separate two to three foot lengths of leather in which they would tie knots around sharp pieces of glass, metal, stone. And so when the person giving the lashes, if you saw The Passion of the Christ, it was pretty well done. In fact, Jim Caviezel had a protective shroud around his body and still had a couple of ribs broken um, by the lashes that were given in the movie. So imagine Yeshua with no protection. One lash with a cat of nine tails is nine lashes. Two lashes, 18. Three lashes, 27. Four lashes, 36. Do the math. 39 lashes equals 351 individual lashes that Yeshua received. They said no human body could endure that without his spine being exposed, without his back looking like hamburger. Um, most people would die during the lashes. If that wasn't enough of an excruciating pain in itself, he then had a crown of thorns forced down over his skull. These are sharp, long thorns. Janice and I saw this one bush we used to walk on the, um, the Jerusalem Trail. And it was, we saw, and they had thorns like this long. They were huge. Remember that, on that bush? Yeah, they were, hu- they were huge thorns. We almost took one home. I don't think I could have braided it. It would have hurt me, and punctured me. But that was thrust down over the top of his skull and embedded into his skull. The purple robe that the soldiers placed on his back to mock him and hail him as their king. You forget that when blood meets material, it soaks in and coagulates rather quickly. So that robe was on for a little while, and then when they ripped the robe off his back, it tore open all the wounds that had coagulated in by the blood. Uh, the cross itself that Yeshua carried to Golgotha was a rough hewn. It wasn't some nice woodwork, you know, like like Avery did up there in the corner, nice smooth wood, you know, or anything like that, or this nice oak like this. It wasn't. It was rough hewn wood, and it gouged into the open wounds of his back. The spikes that he received through his hands and his feet, most people think when they think of the scars, they think of the spikes penetrating in the middle of the hand. But it actually goes between the radius and the ulna, I'll do this without the watch band, right there. The reason they did it in the wrist, and the wrist um, anatomically is considered part of the hand, right there between the radius and the ulna, so that when he was hanging, it can't be ripped out. If it had been here, the spike could have just ripped right through his hand. So it was placed right here and hammered through. One on each side, and a third one through his feet. The hanging on the cross. Hanging on the cross, sometimes for prisoners that were crucified, lasted up to one week. It was a slow, deliberate, painful process death and it was a literally a death by drowning what happens is when you're hanging on the cross fluids begin to build up in your lungs and you can't breathe because you're hanging so you press up on that little wedge of wood they put underneath your feet and you press up which press up which will cause incredible pain to your feet only so that you can catch a breath (sighs) And and as long as you could take, and then you'd have to let go and bend your knees again and be hung from the spikes that are going through your wrists, again, excruciating pain. And you did that over and over and over again to breathe, sometimes up to a week. Yeshua, we know, died the same day on the cross by the grace of God. And he said, it is finished. And to make sure, the men came up, the soldiers came up, and They broke the femur bone with a hammer of the two that were on either side of Yeshua hanging on the cross. But when they came to Yeshua, he was already dead. And so they took a spear and thrust it up through his side which would cause uh, a sack, almost like an embryonic sack, but it kept a fluid. It's almost like a shock absorber that's around your heart. And when that gets pierced, it causes blood and water together to be poured out. So this was the first press. And some of you might say, well, in describing a press of olives, each press gets even harder. What could be harder than what Yeshua... And I'm only giving you the brief synopsis this evening of what he went through. What could be worse than that? Well, the second press describes the emotional press that Yeshua went through. When he hung on the cross, he carried the sins of the world, past, present, present. And future on his shoulders. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6 says this He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stri- stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. This final line, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Have any of it ever time committed a sin which you just felt so terrible about? You felt guilty. You felt burdened. And you knew you had to get rid of that sin in your life, that guilt in your life. It's like a pressure, like a weight on your shoulders. And and you just, you have to go to the Father and, and get rid of it. There was a man some years ago that in his teens, he did a terrible thing. He committed murder. He got away with it. True story. He got away with murder. He wasn't even considered one of the possibilities. Years later... He became a believer, got married, got a good job, had children, and everything in his life was going wonderfully. Went to church. But the weight of the guilt that he carried for all those years finally became so great on his shoulders that he went and told his wife and confessed everything to her. Then they went to their pastor, and he confessed to their pastor. Then he and the pastor and wife went to the police and confessed everything. They looked it up and found it. You might want to say, well, God's grace. But no, they tried him and found him guilty, and he went to prison. But he said that while in prison, and I'm sure by now he's out, he said that while in prison, he felt more freedom behind the bars than he felt for all those years outside of prison. The weight. Now, take that and imagine what Yeshua felt When the sins of the world, past, present, and future, billions and billions of sins of the world were heaped on his shoulders. I believe that that second press was even far greater than the physical press, the first press. And yet that's only the second press. The third press was a spiritual press. Yeshua, when he hung on the cross because he carried the sins of the world on his shoulders, it caused him to break fellowship with his heavenly father, and his father forsook him. In Mark 15, 34, it says, And the ninth hour, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fellowship was broken. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became sin. And when he did, his heavenly Father could not look at him any longer. Yeshua went through great physical suffering carrying the sins of the world on his shoulders would cause him great emotional pain and anguish. But being separated from his Heavenly Father, I can't imagine what that felt like for Yeshua and what he went through for us. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. Three different presses, but yet each one more powerful than the previous one. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to be reminded when I go through a study like this, I have to remember what he did for me. We're going to be celebrating communion on Sunday, a time of remembrance, a memorial. It, it is something that I think we are too casual as believers about. I think we take our relationship with the Lord not to its full maximum, I don't know, of, of surrendering everything to him. All in. You heard that term before? Being all in. Are we all in in our relationship with the Lord? Do we do everything, every day to be fully surrendered and fully committed to him? Are we willing to look back and realize the, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual trauma that Yeshua went through for us? now, All that being said, there was some incredible things that happened shortly after Yeshua died. When he died at that very moment, something amazing happened. It says that Yeshua, Mark 15, 37 and 38, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then it says, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, depending on which... Uh, People you look at as far as measurements from the Old Testament and the New Testament and how those play out today in our own measurements, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies could have been anywhere. Some believe it was 30 feet high. Some believe it was as high as 60 feet. Everyone is pretty much in agreement that it was about 30 feet wide and anywhere from one to three inches in thickness. This was something that was so thick that if a priest was in the outer part of the sanctuary, in the holy place, not the holy of holies, and he tripped, he could hit that curtain, and it would probably just—he'd probably bounce off it. It was so thick, so heavy. It took three. Um, Josephus tells us it took three hundred priests to hang that veil. Three hundred priests. I can't even imagine the, the weight of it or how do you, what kind of ladders or how do they do it? I, I don't know. But that's what Josephus tells us 300 priests to lift it. So it was this massive veil. And what did the veil represent? It represented a separation between man and God. Man had no access into the throne room of God except once a year by the high priest. And when that high priest entered, he better make sure that his life was in order. Many um, of Josephus and other writings say that when that priest would enter the Holy of Holies at one time a year, that he had bells that he wore on the bottoms of his garment, that they could hear him moving and knowing he was okay. And some even said that he had a rope tied around one ankle, that if when he were to go into the Holy of Holies and there was sin in his life that was unconfessed, he would fall over dead and the, they couldn't go in to rescue him, so they could just take the rope and pull him out. So they'd be listening for the bells. So this veil separated man from God, and yet the very moment Yeshua died, and He said, "It is finished," the veil was torn. Which way was it torn, by the way? Top to bottom. Top to bottom. I'm going to go just for the sake of it. I'm going to say, even 30 feet is higher than this, 60 feet. You know, think about a six-story building, not 60 feet. I, I can't imagine in my mind. You ever in my day, a man was proved his strength when he could take a phone book and tear it in half. We actually had a guy at a Bible college that we went to that could do that. He could actually take a phone book, and he said it was all technique. But it was I can't imagine a veil that high, that wide, and that thick being torn from top to bottom, which means the very bottom foot or so of that veil was left intact. So it veed down like that, and then the last part was intact at the bottom to show that it tore from top to bottom. It exposed the Holy of Holies. What the priest did, I have no idea. I can't even imagine it walking (laughs) home. What do we do? How do we deal with the situation? We're confronted with God. But what it meant for us that believe in Jesus, that believe in Yeshua, is that because of his death on the cross, as his body was ripped and torn by the cat of nine tails, so too the veil was torn from top to bottom, giving us full access into the throne of God. It's an amazing thing to consider. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23 says it this way. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and let our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, I I love that. I, I said those two words with a heavy emphasis that, we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. How many of you have been believers for more than ten years? Raise your hand. Twenty years, thirty years, forty years. Any fifties? Okay, we're all about in the same boat then. We're all those forty-something years. Do you remember when you were first a believer? A uh, first a believer. I almost said the Italian. You remember when you were uh, first a believer? Uh, Do do you remember when you first believed? You would get up early in the morning to read God's word, and you couldn't wait to get into its pages and see it speak and just jump off the page at you. You couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to hear the word of God and what was going to happen next. Janice and I got saved in the middle of the Jesus revolution that they're they're calling it now, but it was just a, a continuation of the mighty work of the Holy Spirit in the 60s and 70s. That passion, we need to hold fast to it and not waver in our faith. We need to remember what Yeshua accomplished on the cross and what he went through, the physical press, the emotional press, the spiritual press. And he did it willingly. But being fully human as well as being fully divine, he cried out to his heavenly father, Three separate times, if there's any other way. Not my will, Lord, not my will, but yours. But if there is any other way, take this cup from me. He knew those three presses were coming, and he knew each one would get agonizingly more difficult, greater pressure, greater hardship. If we can just keep those things in our minds Every day we wake up, every day whenever we're doing whatever we're doing, and just remember what he did for us and the suffering that he went through for us. But at the same time, remembering what he accomplished on the cross and that the veil was torn, giving us full access. We don't have to wait till once a year. We don't have to wait for a high priest. All we have to do is go before him humbly. But it should never be casually, it should never be with a flippant. Here's my laundry list for today of saying our prayers to him. It should have an impact each time we go before him. Don't take your relationship with the Lord casually. I know I do. I think we all do from time to time. Instead, we need to remember. It's a memorial. It's to remember what he accomplished. We see our flags being flown at half-mast this last week for 9-11, and they say, remember, remember. They built a memorial there so people would remember. The Jewish people have many different things that they do to remember. We'll get into some of those things on Sunday. But for us, keep your relationship with the Lord fresh. Allow him to hear and allow your heart to hear from him. Father, we just thank you this evening. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would allow us, Lord God, to hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. Help us to be all in, Lord, holding nothing back. We love you, Lord. We confess our weaknesses before you. We know that we're dust. But, Lord, you have saved us and delivered us from ourselves and our sins by dying on the cross for us. And we're so thankful today that we are saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.